Hi, everyone. Uh, Podcast Guy here. I'm joined once again by my esteemed co-host, the rabbit chihuahua herself, Victoria Stellato. And we have our first guest on Ski Shooter Society. Uh, many yeah. of you who uh, are participating in the sport will know him. He is a 26-time NSSA world champion and a master instructor. He is the youngest to ever be inducted into the NSSA Hall of Fame at age 28. And of his many 400 streets, two were with the 410 entirely. Please welcome to the program, Mr. Paul Jean Brony III. Paul, how's it going? Thank y'all for having me. I uh, appreciate the opportunity, and it's uh, pretty cool to be, uh, you know, your first your first official guest on here. So I, I really appreciate the invite, guys. Yeah, definitely. So I to get things started, I think I know the answer to this question, but uh, for those who have known you for being from Louisiana and will check your website or hear that you moved to Utah, of all the states to live in as a ski shooter instructor, why <laughs> did you come here? Well, I will, I'll, I'll be uh, totally blunt and say that uh, skeet shooting had absolutely nothing to do with our decision to move out here. Um, this was a, this was strictly a family move. We, uh, I was born and raised in Louisiana where I spent a few years, uh, in Texas, uh, when, when my wife and I first got married and we had our first child, uh, Texas is, as I think pretty much everybody would agree is like shooter's paradise. I mean, if you, you can't find a place to shoot in Texas, then something's wrong. (laughs) So, uh, anyway, we moved there initially to get my business going and coaching, uh, we went back to Louisiana for family support. And then uh, a few years ago, my wife, um, uh, she she kind of was getting tired of Louisiana, the weather, the tornadoes. I mean, it's just, and it, unfortunately, where we lived, the nearest place for me to shoot was an hour and 20 minutes one way. So if I wanted to go practice, which I really didn't practice a whole lot from 2015 through the current current year, um you know, it, it was it would be a half of a day minimum to go there, you know, get to the club, set it up, practice, get home. And, you know, as much as I, I was away with teaching or going to shoots, uh, you know, to burn a half a day with with the family and the kids, it was really not something I wanted to do. So I didn't do it much. You know, I just practiced a couple of times before the year started and just kind of rolled with it. Uh, so anyway, we, when we moved out here. Um, my wife, you know, we wanted a place that was safe, good place to raise a family, um, had four seasons, had a beautiful view, plenty to do outside and not everything revolve around eating and or drinking like Louisiana. (laughs) Um, you know, when I first came to Utah, um, in 2017, I fell in love with this, with the state, like right away. Uh, my first experience was in St. George, uh, which is gorgeous, plenty to do, but the airport was not very good. Uh, then I came to Salt Lake City later that year. Obviously, Salt Lake's got a great airport. They've got great infrastructure here. Everything's new. Uh, it's it's very family friendly, etc. So uh, it was it was a fairly easy decision as to where we wanted to go. But uh, you know, leaving family behind was definitely a very hard thing, and it still is hard. Uh, but we get the, you know that's what the airplanes are for. They we've got family members that come visit us several times throughout the year. My best friend, best man in my wedding from Louisiana. He's not a shooter, uh, but I'm slowly but surely trying to pull him in. He's actually, uh, we, we were actually looking into doing some kind of a podcast thing and I had him doing some research, but then you guys reach out. So this is perfect, but in one way, shape or form, I'm going to get him involved, whether he's a, uh, 
social media manager or, you know, whatever it takes to get him a little bit more involved in, uh, and such. But anyway, long story short is we came out here for family, for the everything that there is to do. And Utah has a lot to offer. And I will say we've been here not even two years and I've had more people fly in to Salt Lake City to take lessons here than I did the seven or eight years that I was offering that in Louisiana. Um, so it's that that says something about Utah as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I've been living in Utah. I think we're just about 20 minutes away from each other. Yes. And, uh, the way I describe it is it's kind of the best kept secret of the Western U.S. I almost don't want to say that because I don't want more people moving here. <laughs> I mean, everyone, right. knows, yeah, everyone knows Colorado for skiing and mountains. Everyone knows Nevada for Vegas and Arizona for being warm. Victoria is raising her hand. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of the you know, all-around on average, best Western state to live in. And it's growing rapidly. Um, yes. It's enormous. So, And I think well, Salt Lake City's become more of a melting pot, right, Matt? I mean, you've been here yeah. longer than us. Yeah. I've seen it change drastically in the last 10 years. Right. But uh, anyway, next thing I want to ask about is one of the magazine articles from last year, you wrote about how you were building a house and your family was living in a camper. Victoria, <laughs> Victoria's raising her hand. And when I was at the Zone 7 in Phoenix end of 2022, I think it was just me and one other Utah shooter in attendance, and we got the question about you. So we we really haven't seen you around the local shoots or uh, any of the shoots in this area. So tell us about that experience of uh, setting things up in Utah and how it's affected you and your shooting. Yeah, no, the the... You know, when we first moved out here, which was May of 2022, um, the we were we were living out of a camper for nine months. Uh, the family uh, basically came with me to all of my clinics. So from September of 2021 through May of 22, I think that's nine months if my math is right. Uh, but anyhow, uh, they came with me to all the shoots, all the clinics, everything during that time frame. Uh, and it was, it was, it was great that we were always together, but, you know, having six people and a dog inside of a camper traveling the country, it, it definitely had its challenging moments. <laughs> um, but, uh, once we got out here, you know, the back half of 22 was really just spent kind of getting our feet on the ground over here, uh, getting, um, you know, uh, we got rid of the camper and the truck that we were pulling around, you know, cause that once, once we were done with it, that was it. I had, we had enough, I had enough. I'll, I'll just be blunt. <laughs> um, I had enough of it. So, uh, you know, the, the back half of 22 was really just trying to get more settled here. And then, uh, last year, all of 2023, uh, was probably the busiest year that I've ever had as far as teaching goes and being on the road. Uh, so I'm really haven't had a chance to really establish much here locally up until this past December. Uh, my wife um, last year, uh, forgive me for going on. I am a family guy. I've got four kids, love them all. Uh, God fearing guy. Uh, but anyway, long story short was, you know, uh, uh, my God has used my kids to pull on my heart more, more so now than ever before last year. Um, one of my younger twins or one of the twins, she said, uh, you know, dad, you know, why do you have to leave? And, you know, it was just really putting her through a rough time. So I made a promise to my kids last May that I was going to greatly reduce my travel this year. 
and be home more and, and be actually be a father, you know? And, uh, anyway, so it was in December last year, I was looking at my year long calendar. That's, uh, that's behind me, but, and I'm sitting here trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to make ends meet? Cause my wife has been a stay at home mom for the last 10 years. How are we going to make ends meet financially? Me still go to enough shoots to keep my name out there while still having enough travel clinics to pay the bills. And uh, my wife was looking at me one day and she she just saw the look on my face, like, how am I going to do this? And that was where the online training thing came up and some other things. But overall, it was like, how am I going to do this? So she has actually decided to go back to work. This past week was her first week back in the workforce. And with that being said, uh, I plan on going out to Lee Cade, shoot here and there, go to Wasatch Wing and Clay, go shoot there for some practice, go visit my guys in Heber. Um Matt, I think there's a club that's a little further north where you shoot out of. I haven't had a chance to make it up there yet. But again, now that I'm going to be home a lot more often, once the weather gets a little bit warmer here, uh, you know, my plan is to definitely try to go pick a random Wednesday, Thursday, you know, maybe a Saturday here or there just to come be with the Utah guys. And I I haven't had a chance to really do that. It's always been all business. Like if I show up at the clubs, cause I have a lesson. And other than that, I got to get home and be with my kids. So now, you know, with them all being in school, my wife being back at work, I can actually have a lot more balance. And I'm actually really looking forward to uh, getting out there, shooting some actual structured practice, uh, meeting the Utah guys and then here and there, you know, maybe trying to shoot a, a, a tournament or two. But, you know, that'll be decided as as things, you know, progress. Um, but I definitely want to be more involved within the state of Utah for sure. Yeah. And uh, that I think that really you answered most of my question. I was going to ask about the life of a professional skeet shooter. And, <laughs> and I think you answered it just being on the road constantly going all about the country and balancing that with tournaments and family life. It's, it's, it is, uh, it is something that is extremely difficult to do. And, and, you know, the, you know, the, the hardest part about the entire thing is obviously trying to find where is that balance, but also, um, you know, when you're, when you're going out of town to teach and then, you know, you've got the emails and the phone calls and text messages to answer from, you know, clients that have taken lessons that need a you know, hey, man, uh, all of a sudden, low threes bothering me. You know, what am I forgetting? And it's like, okay, well, take take a second. to. Well, you multiply that out by the thousands of people that I've worked with over the last 15 years. You can see how that can become very consuming. Um, you know, it's like you got to set limits. You know, you, after certain hours, you just you can't respond. You know, before certain hours can't respond. Like, you've got to balance out your work and home life. And that's very hard to do. And then the big thing is when you're in the middle of doing all of that and you don't have a chance to really practice a whole lot. And, you know, so then when you get to a shoot and you don't, you feel a little rusty and then it's like, okay, well, why am I here? Like it's, it's hard to keep the drive as a shooter when you have all of those other things pulling at you. And for me to sit here and say that I'm unaffected by that is totally false. Um, You know, it's, and I think it's been pretty clear the last, probably about the last three or four seasons, I have not been as I would call my normal self. Uh, and it's, and it's because of those mental battles that I've, I've had to go through personally over these last few years, trying to balance out everything. But I feel like this year, um, it, you know, I actually had an itch to go and practice in January and I can't even remember the last time that that happened. Um, most of the time, 
once I'm done shooting my last shoot through about through at least February, if not March, I'm just like, I don't want to go practice because I need a break. Um, but this year with Suzanne going back to work, me not traveling as much, me doing more here uh, online uh, has has gotten that fire back on the inside of wanting to actually go practice and go shoot. So I'm, I'm pretty fired up about this year. Yeah, what I will say about Utah, the club you're mentioning earlier is a Golden Spike Trap and Trap Club. It's they actually have two skeet fields. I think they're planning on doing more. It's about Excellent. an hour about an hour north of Sandy, so about the same for you too. I'm a member there. Yeah, um, yeah and just so you know too, what I've heard about uh, Wasatch Clays is they. I know they only have one skeet field, but they actually have plans and approved to build three more. So. I think at some point this year, we're going to have them as being uh, a lot more of a contender to hold maybe a couple of shoots or at least just a place to go practice and not have to wait an hour to get, you know, since they only have one field. Yeah. Yeah. In Utah, we have a good handful of facilities with ski fields for a state with a relatively small population. And yes. they will be, yeah, they'll be used constantly for those who shoot recreationally, but for registered targets, we're starving for participation. Our our state shoot at most we have twenty five, and most other shoots it's we're lucky to get fifteen. Right, right, and I I think um, you know part of it out here in Utah is you know the I, I, what I'm really hoping is that when Wasatch builds those few extra fields that we get some quality machines and uh, we have quality fields to where people will want to go and shoot. You know the, some of the other facilities I know have their you know, there, there are challenges with either whether it be staff or older machines or, you know, whatever the whatever their challenges may be. But hopefully with, uh, you know, with Wasatch building up. And the other thing, too, from what I've seen is uh, the limitation on the fields. You know, like Hebers, they love to have the love to have shoots, but they have two fields like so they can't really host, you know, a, a bigger shoot. But anyhow, um, hopefully we'll, we, we can change that right by being more involved and you know, me getting out here and, uh, you know, helping these people shoot better. Maybe they'll want to, maybe they'll want to get into more tournaments. So that's the hope. Yeah. That was one of the intentions of the podcast. Our goal is if you just talk about the sport and someone here's maybe I should try that on high three, they get motivated to go out, they get right. better They consider shooting tournaments because right. their scores have increased. Then that helps them because they're buying more shells or buying higher end guns. They're traveling more. So and that was one of the things that we we got on our list to talk about this morning about the sport, you know, and and I think one of the biggest things that would help our sport, I think there, there are two big, two things that are really holding us back, two big things. One, you know, because when, when I travel all over, I, I ask questions and it's not just all business, you know, I like I want to know you, I want to get to know what, what do you do for work, what you, you know, who, who, how many siblings you got, you know, whatever, I just like to get to know people. And then um, I also like to get their feel on, on skeet shooting as a whole. And most of the people that are newer to the game, the two things that hold them back are number one, they feel like they need to make this huge investment in sub-gauge tubes because they need to shoot all four gauges. And then the second thing is they have this, this view of, well, it's a game of perfection. And unless I can go out and have the confidence to shoot 100 straight, then there's no reason for me to go shoot in a tournament. And I, I believe that through some good channels of marketing, getting the word out to basically tell people, listen, you don't want to invest in all four gauges, 
No problem. Just come shoot with us. Get out. Come join a league. Uh, shoot the 12-gauge event. Uh, from a, from a, a, a shoot management perspective, I don't know why, and, and I've been trying to work with some state associations on this and telling people like, look, if they don't want to shoot all four gauges, create like an own little, a, a separate shoot or a little uh, targets only type thing. Let these shooters that are rookies that have just a 12 or a 20 gauge or the kids, like a, a big, a big one here is uh the four, the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, 4-H kids, right, is to get them more involved. So why not get them more involved by let them uh, by letting them just shoot 12 gauge for a weekend? Who cares? Um, so I think that's one of the big things. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And it's what something we're actually doing in Utah starting more this year. Uh, we modified some of our two-day shoots instead of just the four gauges. One of them in lieu of the 410, it's an any. So you can choose what gauge you shoot. You can shoot the 410 if you want to make minimums, if you want to shoot right. another 12 gauge, or you can shoot all 400 with 12 gauge, and those other two will just be for targets only registered. Exactly. And what's the harm in that, right? Yeah. There is no harm in it. But again, the 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 image of Skeet as a whole is, you know, you got to shoot all four guns and you got to be perfect. And yeah. I think if, we, you know, bring it back to light of, hey, uh, you know, we do have classes that you can compete against other people that are similar skill set. We have age concurrence. So it's not, you're not, you, you don't have to enter a shoot to, to shoot a hundred and win the event. There are several other things that you can do within. So I think both of those, those things uh, are, are two of the big things that hold our game back. Cause I can tell you this, my feeling of the, the future of the sport of skeet shooting, I don't think skeet's going to die. Skeet, in my opinion, itself is is alive and thriving very, very well. Um, I mean, a perfect example of that is if the skeet, if if skeet were dying, would I be busy? Would people be paying me four or five hundred dollars for a lesson to teach them how to shoot if the sport itself was dying? I don't think so. I mean, that's that's not that that's a lot of money. That's a big investment to put into something that is quote dying. So I don't I don't think the sport overall is dying. I think competitive skeet is on a slide, and I think it revolves mainly around those two things that I just that I just mentioned. So some of the things that I'm doing with these state associations is giving them the idea of hey, if you got somebody who wants to come shoot, just get them out there. Whether they just shoot one event, uh, uh, or they want to shoot the entire weekend, but they got only have they only have a twelve gauge or twenty gauge. So what? Just get them out there because I think. Once the people see the value and the camaraderie, I'm sorry, the camaraderie in, in the game of ski, then they can start to see the value in investing in a better gun or tubes and shooting all the gauges. But until they see the value, they're not going to do it. And the only way they're going to see a value uh, of doing that is to get out there and actually be around the people in ski. Because quite frankly, we got the best people in the world in our game, period. Um, yeah. So anyhow... So that's why I'm saying I think the game itself is strong, but competitively, I think that's where some changes need to be made within our association. And I hope that, you know, surely in the future that we we get to see some of these things come to light or, or you know, come to fruitation. Yeah, shotgun shooters, not just a ski, but sporting, crap, you know, not disciplines are by fall are the best people in the world. Yes. And, uh, on your note about tubes and gear, that brings me to the next section of uh, my question. Yep. 
So everyone always wants to hear about gear and something that was just as surprising to people as you relocating out West was your change from a gun company that you've been with for a long time to a new gun. So with that said, tell us what over and under you're shooting and how it's set up now. Absolutely. Yeah, not a problem. So uh, my current, I'll just go through my, my current list of equipment. So the first thing gun wise, I'm shooting a uh, Parazzi high tech and is the, the three model and on all the three designates is that it's an adjustable rib and there's three points of adjustment on the rib. Um, uh, they, they make a standard high tech, which is a flat rib, which Parazzi has like so many different rib configurations, barrel configurations. It's actually, it's overwhelming initially, but what, uh, one of the one of the things that I why, why I chose Parazzi is you know not only the name the prestige that goes with the name but the the simplicity of the gun and also the reliability and the pointability of the gun. Um, over my years in coaching, let's say for the last fifteen years, um, there was a period of time there when I was shooting a Kohler, and people would ask, "Hey, what kind of gun do I need to buy?" And I would tell them, listen, you need to go shoot a Kohler, you need to shoot a Kriegoff, you need to shoot a Parazzi, you need to shoot all three of what I consider the major brands and get, get a stock configuration that is close to fitting you. That way you can give an honest assessment of all three, not just pick up a random stock that's not even close to fitting you because no matter how good the gun may point, if the stock doesn't fit you, it's a it's it's not going to feel right um, or it's not you're not going to get good results either. So... Though that was the instruction that I would give to people. Well, <laughs> I had I had exactly eight people that actually listened and shot all three. Most people would go, well, if this guy is representing the brand of Kohler and he's telling me to go shoot other brands, surely Kohler's the best. And they just went and bought a Kohler, which, hey, that to each his own. But let's let, let me focus on the eight people that actually listened and shot all three. Well, the, the ones that actually listened to Channel 3, all eight of them bought the same one, and it was Paroxy. And each time, it was I was like, man, you, you know, really, you liked it better than the Kohler? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, hey, let me see that thing, and let me point a couple. So I, you know, you know I'd shoot a couple, point. I'm like, oh, man, that thing does point pretty damn good. But, you know, hey, I was shooting a Kohler. I was happy with, with, with the company at the time, and I was shooting it well, so there's no real reason to do anything different from my perspective. Well, when uh, when when Kohler and I agreed that we were going to go our, our separate ways and it was a mutual decision, it was, there was no bad blood. So I don't want to, you know, that can of worms to open up and point fingers. It was just a mutual decision. Um, and uh, so it made my decision easy because of those other people that had followed my instruction before. So I, I chose Parazzi and went and upon choosing them. You know, I, I didn't realize they made different barrels, different weights, different ribs, the, you know, just the, the amount of things that you can customize with that gun. And the beautiful part about it is the customization that you can put into it. It's all included in the original price. So it's not there's no upsells, you know, unless you want to get engraving or a wood upgrade. You know, there are certain things that are upsold, but a lot, I would say probably 90 to 95 percent of the options that you can have that you can choose on that gun is already included in the price. Uh, so it's really cool to get a, basically a fully customized gun. That is the same price out the door. The only downside is you got to wait a year to get it because they're in such high demand. Um, so anyway, getting back to my gun, right? So Parazzi, the 12 gauge barrels that I have, they, uh, the, the barrels weigh 1.52 kilograms. 
and they are the 18.6 barrels. Um, that's the, the that has to do with the bore size. And then I'm um, shooting the uh, the Briley Ultimate uh, Ultralight Tubes. I'm sorry, the the Ultralight Tubes. I do not have the rifling. That's the only difference. Um, shooting their Helix Chokes, which uh, I think produce a very good pattern, and and they they hit the targets hard. Um, glasses. I'm using the Ranger, my Ranger setup. Uh, I use the Falcon Pro frames, and I use all the React lenses. That's uh, some pretty cool AI technology there that they're using. I kept all of my standard colors for, I think, over a year, and I never reached for them one time since going to the React. So I, that's all I have. They have four React colors. Uh, like they call it the Ultimate Light, which is really the their darkest one. They have a dark, a medium, and then a light one. Um, so those, those are the glasses. Uh, uh, Pouch-wise, uh, Al Ainge, great guy, retired Navy guy. He, uh, uh, I have an elephant pouch from him. Uh, that thing is super durable. It's very expensive, but it's the only pouch you'll ever have to buy. I uh, use, um, in, a, in a recent change, um, has been White uh, white Flyer getting uh, bought out by Winchester. So this year, I will be shooting Winchester uh, factory ammo. Uh, just their standard skeet load, target load, number nines. I prefer the nines uh, because um, it's, just, it's just what works in my brain. The choke configuration with the nines, I like. Uh, doesn't mean that you can't break ski targets with eights or eight and a halves. I just prefer nines. Um, who am I leaving out? White flyer targets and uh, hearing protection. I use uh, ESPs, the electronic shooters protection. And uh, oh, and lastly, uh, insurance wise, I use uh, Gun and Trophy Insurance by who's actually a client of mine. They're out of Virginia. They offer uh, they offer really good coverage with guns because it's up to. A certain amount so you can label list multiple guns for almost half the price of uh the, the standard one that everybody uses in sportsman's insurance yeah that's a really important point to bring up if you're traveling with a gun that's worth any amount uh you really need to have it insured in case something happens you, you really do and a lot of people feel uh i think a lot of people think that uh their homeowners will cover it. and i think there are certain homeowners coverages that might cover it but it's really not that great. Um, one of the one of the great features I think of this insurance company is they um, uh, they uh, if you're on the grounds at the gun club and somebody walks up to your car and just takes it right out of your car, they still cover it. Um, it's covered in shipping. Uh, it's covered. You know, th there's just there there is a lot of coverage there for the little amount of money. I think I think uh, up to like forty or fifty thousand dollars of coverage in guns is like maybe one hundred sixty-five bucks a year. That's it, and you can list wow. multiple guns, handguns, rifle, whatever. You can just list them all out. Uh, great, great, great guys. Um, and and you know the my sponsors and the people that I align myself with. Uh, you know I make sure that they have uh, you know good business practices. Uh, they they care about the game of ski. Um, that they're, they're actual good people. Like I, I have a tendency to, you know, gravitate towards like the smaller family run businesses versus the big conglomerates, right? Rangers family run, you know, Parazzi has been family run for many years. I know they just got bought out by CSG not that long ago, but nonetheless, they're still operating as like a family run business. Uh, one I didn't mention a second ago was Pacific Sporting Arms. They're the ones that got me hooked up with Parazzi. Uh, John Herkowitz, great guy. Jordan, uh, the manager, the general manager there, 
Both of those guys have really taken very good care of me and they've taken care of a lot of my customers. Um, I would say the only one that's really a big quote conglomerate would be uh, Winchester, you know, Winchester and Whitefire Targets. But everybody else, it's all mom and pop shops that really care about the game of ski. Yeah, definitely glad to hear that. Yes. So everyone always wants to hear more and more about the gun. So what I'm talking about tiny details. So when Yeah. I had a lesson, when I had a lesson with you last June, you were shooting your high tech with a uh, with a young guy, and it was your high tech with the adjustable rib, Yes. and the soft comb on your stock was all the way up. Then when I checked out your Facebook page, I noticed uh, an earlier picture. of you with a flat rib barrel and then a later picture of a new stock that you showed me now for the hybrid Yeah. barrel. And Yep. uh, have you gone back and forth or? No, so basically uh what happened when I first went when I first went to Parazzi, we uh it was it was a last minute decision. It was basically it was two days, maybe a, no, I'm sorry, I got the gun the day before the first tournament that I was shooting in 2022, but the decision was made about a week before. So there was no time to make a stock or anything like that. So the The original stock that I got with it was just an, uh, you know, an off the shelf one that did not fit me. So we had to jack the comb way up, way over to get it to, to fit me. Um, the flat rib that you're referring to, I think, was in a shot tracker video, which we'll talk about in a minute. But that was actually a borrowed gun because we were uh, we were filming in San Antonio and I was in the middle of a trip. So it was a borrowed Parazzi. That's why it was a flat rib. Uh, the, the stock that I currently have is actually one that is custom made by Parazzi and um, the dimensions that Al at, uh, at Parazzi USA, the dimensions that he took off of me in doing the fit, it is hands down the, the, uh, the most comfortable stock and the best fitting stock that I've ever had in my career. And basically the back half of last year, uh, my scores took a little bit of a hit because The stock, when I would mount it, it was so easy to get into. I was shooting much more relaxed than I had ever shot before. So by shooting more relaxed, I was moving quicker. I was responding quicker. I could see the targets better, but it was like I didn't have the time to practice and get used to it. So it was it was a little bit of a challenge. But again, going into this season, um, I'm going to have the time to practice, you know, get a little more used to the stock. And I'm pretty fired up about about. uh about this year once again because of because of all the other factors as well as the new stock. Yeah, glad to hear it. I uh I think 2024 is going to be a <laughs> an excellent tournament season. So uh I hope so. well I've got yeah, I've got 12 tournaments on the schedule this year starting with uh the first one in Louisiana. Uh we have our big shoot in April followed by the Triple J in San Antonio, uh the Blue Goose in Houston, uh the US Open which is now a satellite shoot. Um, I'm going to shoot the Stockton shoot in July, the Mid-America in Indiana, the Northbrook, or I'm sorry, it's the Elite Classic now in Northbrook, the Dallas shoot in August, the Castle in Detroit, the Mini Main in, uh, in San Antonio, and then finish with the Best of Texas. So I'm, I've got a pretty big, uh, pretty big schedule this year. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's uh, some of them are definitely the larger ones like uh like the world and the mini, but for the other ones that not everyone will know, why do you choose them? How do you go about choosing them? So there, it, it's actually, I've got a pretty easy requirement list there. Uh, it's the places where I really enjoy to shoot. Uh, Okay. there's a couple in there, obviously, you know, going to the bigger shoots, the majors, 
Um, but a lot of the shoots that I choose to go to are because the people there put on a good show. They care about skeet. They really work their butts off to put on a good show for the skeet shooters. So that's, that's really where my criteria is met, you know, good, good location, good place to get in and out of pretty easy since I'm flying, but the main things are that they care about skeet, they're genuinely trying, and they work their tails off to give us good targets and put on a good show. Um, so that that's really my requirements for a shoot. It's it's pretty simple. Okay. So uh, I, that uh, wraps up some of the questions I was going to ask. I'm going to hand it off to Victoria now for a little bit. <laughs> if uh, She wants to ask some questions about coaching. Okay. Um, Victoria, I think she had a she had a step away for a second, but basically getting into coaching, a couple of things. Number one, uh, my philosophy in coaching is uh, more or less, you know, you got to have solid fundamentals. Um, there, there are certain things within in within coaching that I do not budge on, um, but those are mainly maybe a handful of things, such as you know you got to have good mechanics, you, the gun's got to fit you correctly, you got to know how to use your eyes correctly. Um, so those things are, are things that I go into a lot of detail on and make sure that the shooter has a good grasp on that. Other things like foot positions, hold points, look points, those things kind of vary person to person. We have what the book says, and then we have a plus or minus tolerance. I, I kind of look at it like a manufacturing spec. So if you want to manufacture a product, you have to give the manufacturer a certain spec, and then they tell you, well, there's a plus or minus tolerance to said spec. And as long as it's within that tolerance, then it gets produced and everything's good. That's where your quality control comes in. So with me, if you don't want to hold exactly a third of the way out, if you're a foot, maybe two feet out or a foot or two feet in, as long as you're not getting beat, you're acquiring and shooting the target on time and you're making a good move, who am I to tell you that you're doing it wrong? So there are some, I don't want to say leniency, I guess leniency is a decent word for it. But there's some there's some uh, there's some tolerances or leniency there in the way that I teach. Now, once we find what works, then you just leave it alone and you groove it. You don't try to make it better. If it's perfect, you leave it alone, right? Um, and and you know, and this brings us into like you know some of the fundamental changes that I'm making in my coaching as far as the travel goes. Uh, one of the things that I've been doing more is is webinars where I'm I'm inviting people into a classroom setting. We're talking about targets or topics like high two, you know, people, everybody, a lot of people struggle with high two, low six. So I've got put together a presentation on what they should be seeing, what they should be feeling, show them a couple of pictures and videos and let them go out there and go try. It. And, you know, 90% of the time it gets solved right then and there. And the other 10%, we may have to tweak it a little bit here or there for some individuals. Um, another big thing that we're doing online is mental training, you know, tell, and what, what I've found is that, over the years, people really, um, it, it really helps a lot of the shooters when you really let them inside of, uh, inside of my head as one of the top, top shooters in the, in the country or in the world and ski. So when I tell them, Hey, I face some of these same struggles, like some of these stars go, Oh, you think about that stuff too? Yes. I just know how to deal with it. So I have no problem being completely transparent and telling people some of my own struggles and I get it because I can empathize with them. Um, you know, a lot of people, because of my age, the things that I've been able, been able to accomplish in at, at a younger age, they just thought it was just this God given ability. And while some of that is true, um, I had to work my butt off to get where I am. So I made all the mistakes. I understand what it's like to feel when you feel like you're just stuck in this rut. You can't get out. 
you've broken through one ceiling, but you can't break through the next, uh, you know, gun fit. I, uh, you know, I, I've been there and I've experienced all of it. So I can totally empathize. And then that helps me, you know, be able to communicate better with them. So we talk about those kind of things in mental training. And then the, the last thing that's really revolutionizing the, the coaching for me is the shot tracker camera. So I'll be brief. I don't want to make this, a, you know, just an ad for shot tracker, but the, the camera mounts to the gun. It, it talks to an app that's on your phone. And there is a lot of data that is analyzed in a very short amount of time to tell people, hey, are you matching the speed correctly? Are you swinging through? Are you, you know, getting way out ahead and bleeding off lead? So it shows you images and it and it gives you the instant feedback. Now, where, where we're revolutionizing the teaching industry or teaching for me is I am now able to do that at home in my office where we set up a Zoom call on the person's phone or, or tablet. I can watch them take a shot on, on a screen on one of my computer screens live. And then the data from the tracker is sent to the cloud and I have access to that data. So between those two things, I can give a personalized lesson, live one-on-one -on -one lesson to someone at the convenience of their home club and me be at my own, in my own office and help them work through whatever problems that they've got. Yeah. Well, uh, <clears throat> we're almost out of time for part one. Uh, stay tuned for part two with Paul G. Bernie the third. Awesome. Yeah, you want to do that? Definitely. <laughs>